This is an ABC podcast. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. and welcome to another week of Can You Be More Pacific? My name is Sarah Nangama and as always, I'm joined by my loyal and reliable co-host, Dean Hallitau. Fakalofalahiatu, everyone, and welcome to the show. It's great to be here once again. Thanks, Sarah. Great intro. I am loyal, I think, so I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, We've got a jam-packed show for you. We chat with Jason Nightingale. We've got a touchy one for you can ask that. Plus, we have a special preview of the NRL uh, ahead of round one. Sarah, how's your week been over there in Christchurch? Yeah, it's been really good. It was awesome to get Super Rugby Opiki underway. So I debuted for Matatu last Saturday, which was really awesome. And we also got our first win ever. So it was really special to, one, make my debut, but to be with the girls on such a memorable occasion. Yeah, that was. Uh, it looked like a um, a pretty cool game to be a part of. Just it, it was down to the wire, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it in a minute. But um, yeah, no doubt it would have been uh, awesome for you to get your first one away for the new in the new colours. Yeah, it was pretty special. What about you, Hollow? What's been happening in your world? Well, it's all preparation for NRL, and we're going to get into that later in the show. But um, yeah, work's been just all preparation for that. Uh, there's a lot of final pieces to fall in line before round one kicks off on Thursday night. Um, but my head's been buried in work. I got to have my last weekend with the family, which was cool before um, the season does kick off because my wife and kids know that um, for the next six or so months, um, I'm going to be yeah, pretty much immersed in rugby league. Uh, just another day in paradise for you, hey? Yes, just another day in paradise. Now, Sarah, what's our top story uh, for this week? Our top story this week comes for the world, sorry, from the world of rugby union, Fijian Rob Valentini, a much loved um, and valued player at both the Brumbies and the Wallabies, was named as the Super Rugby Pacific Player of the Year for 2022. So Rugby Australia have released an online campaign where over February and March they'll release all of their winners from different award categories, but it was so awesome to see Rob recognised for all that he contributed in both the Brumbies and Wallabies uh, outfit last season. It's uh, enormous for Rob to get that honour, but also uh, he's committed to Australia, well, to Australian rugby. They've signed him for another four years, so that's uh, that's huge. Uh, and to be at the Brumbies as well with that, it's um, it leads into the 2027 World Cup. He's obviously a talented guy, and to have someone like that locked in must be pleasing. Yeah, it's so awesome. I have... A really soft spot for Rob. Him and I grew up together. Actually, his mum was actually my Sunday school teacher um, back in Melbourne, which was really special. And he was just the sweetest kid. He was very talented. I so remember that of him, just being so skillful with the ball in hand. But to see his journey unfold the way that he has um, and, and also knowing his family personally just makes it a little bit special. So congratulations to him. And uh, no doubt we'll see more of him throughout this season and the Wallabies um, later this year at World Cup. It's great to see good people rewarded uh, with their their talents and and what they're doing in the world of sport. And Sarah, sticking in Super Rugby and a pretty cool story regarding some siblings over the weekend. Yes, Dan, as we know, Super Rugby Pacific and Super Rugby Opiki kicked off on the weekend. But what was really cool to note is that the Mika Elitu'u siblings uh, both start at the sorry, both started in the number eight jersey for their teams. So Liana, she kitted up for the Auckland Blues and her brother Marino for the Highlanders. That's a pretty cool story. I don't, I can't think of anywhere else where that's happened. So pretty awesome that they got to represent in round one for both of their respective competitions and uh, wearing the number eight jersey. Uh, pretty awesome stuff. 
Yeah, very special moment for their family. Sticking with Opike, the results from the weekend are in. So round one happened on the weekend. The first fixture that happened was between the Hurricanes, Pole Women and Chiefs Manua. Chiefs Manua uh, did come out on top of the competition last season and they have certainly started in strong form. The final score was at 53-21. What's pretty crazy to note about this game is that Hurricanes were in the lead uh, for majority of the first half. So when you talk about a comeback and a comeback with a vengeance, um, Chiefs Manawa, they certainly did that. Their hooker, Luca Connor, she was just incredible. She crossed the line three times. So that was a pretty crazy match to watch unfold. And the second and last fixture of the weekend was between the Auckland Blues women and Matatu, my team. And so proud to share that Matatu won their first game with the final score being 33 to 31. Well, how good. Firstly, congratulations, Sarah. Well done on your first victory in uh, in New Team Colours. And it's um, pretty much what you do. You just win matches of football. So well done. But <laughs> the Blues had a, a conversion at the end of the game to, to draw level had they kicked the goal, but they missed it. How was the nerves watching that kick uh, about to take place? Honestly, Hala, the only thing I can liken it to is just pure desperation. As mentioned, much too, we were in the lead for majority of that match. And you can, and, and you know those games, um, having played the game yourself, that when your team has that attacking ascendancy, you just know that everything's flowing. Every touch is meeting the hands of another player. Like everything was truly flowing for us. Um, but in the second half, it's almost like the Auckland Blues caught uh, second wind. They hit second gear and they just unleashed on us. But it was pretty nerve-wracking in the final nine minutes i remember we had a scrum and i looked at the girls in the pack and i said to them well we get to dictate how this game ends we have the lead um so we just need to finish it out but it was so tiring hello <laughs> it was such a tiring last 10 minutes um the game actually moved genuinely at test match pace um for me anyways but it, it was pretty nerve-wracking and we're really 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 lucky um that's their number 10 missed right in front, which I believe any other day she would have gotten. So um, I guess their woes is our victory. So we will de- we'll be taking that one for sure. Yeah, well, I'm sure you definitely um, get a lot out of that. If you say it was at that test match level, then you've set a bar for yourselves and you got your first win. So roll on. The confidence should build. I love that. Roll on. Over to Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, Moana Pacifica took on Fiji Drill. Now, this was a match that a lot of people were looking forward to. Again, last year was their first year for both of these teams to be included in this competition. So kind of keen to see where they can take it in year two. But Fiji and Drill proved to be too good, coming away with the win 36 to 34. Now, one player in particular he will remember last week for a very long time is Taniela Rakua. He is 23 years old. Last week uh, on Wednesday, he signed a short-term full-time contract on Thursday he jumped on a plane for the very first time and then on the weekend he came off the bench and he scored the match-winning try like it doesn't really get better than that does it he would have been riding an incredible high all week one to get that contract a short-term contract so there's an opportunity probably didn't expect that he was going to get on the field for much and and it sounds like he didn't get on the field for much but to get on and then score the winning try um yeah i'm sure there would have been a smile on his face very wide for a long time and no doubt the family was watching back in fiji and, and also celebrating yeah, that's all I can think about is just how special that would have been for his family to witness it all unfold. The last match I want to uncover is between the Hurricanes and the Reds, where the Canes came out on top of 47-13. to 13. To the Reds' credit, they did try to insert themselves, but the Canes showed it to be too strong, inserting their dominance, particularly through Julian Sever. And the Canes turn over the ball yet again. Caleb Delaney's on the field. He got it. 
Gave it to Booth, bumps off a tackle, pass through Lightning, hands of Barrett to the edge for Morgan. Dummying, left and right. Morgan up to the 22, gives it back to AMU inside the 22. Pass to the edge, Savia! Julian Savia goes over in the corner. And this is getting nasty now for the Reds in the north. Yeah, big win for the Canes and the first match that's been played between a Australian-based and a New Zealand-based side. So hopefully things get better for the Aussie-based teams. We don't see a repeat of what happened last year. Yeah, that's really nice, Al. I like that you keep the hope because I certainly have hope for the Waratahs to come out on top this year. Yes, got to keep the hope. Now, Sarah, Rugby Sevens, <laughs> the, the fast format of the game? Yes, the men's Rugby Sevens took place in LA over the weekend where in the final we saw Argentina and New Zealand go up against each other. But New Zealand proved to be too strong, finishing 22 to 12. Now, this is the first men's team in the World Rugby Sevens Series 2023 to win two tournaments back-to-back. So it's great to see uh, All Blacks find their form quite early in the season. Yeah, they're show- they are showing a little bit of form. So well done to New Zealand. But Fiji were able to finish third with a 21 to 19 victory over Australia. So that's uh, please, very pleasing for the flying Fijians to, to get their campaign going as well. They're edging closer and closer with each campaign. I'm just so, so waiting for the day that they're in a gold final match because they certainly do deserve to be there. So I think Gollins will be working on his men um, in preparation for the remainder of the season. Now, switching our attention to the court uh, and basketball, the Tall Blacks are looking good ahead of the 2023 FIBA World Cup that will be taking place across three uh, countries, Japan, Indonesia, and the Philippines later this year. They've already qualified, but they've improved their seeding for the World Cup draw after finishing at top of their qualifying group. They defeated Lebanon uh, 106-91. to So um, good basketball there from the Tall Blacks. They've got a bit of talent. Isaac Fotu, who's of Tongan heritage, he led the scoring for the Kiwis with 23 points, followed closely by Jordan Nati and Ruben Terangi. Uh, they both had 21 points. So good news for the Tall Blacks. The World Cup draw will be out in April. Super exciting and no doubt we'll be keeping our eye out on those results. Talanoa time on Can You Be More Pacific? Joining us this week for Talanoa time, we're very lucky to have a former NRL great also represented the Kiwis. His name's Jason Nightingale. A stack of games for the St. George Illawarra Dragons, including a premiership back in 2011. I hope I got that right. No, 2010. Damn it, I stuffed up straight away. Uh, He's also represented the All-Stars. As I said, he played for New Zealand uh, a number of tests, including being a part of the 2008 World Cup winning side. And he's actually... Born in Australia, but he's got uh, Maori descent, and he comes to us from now in Sydney, Australia, where he resides. Jason, thanks for joining us on Can You Be More Pacific? No worries. Thanks for having me, Dean. Very excited. Well, firstly, Jason, um, I've, I've given a little bit of a background to, to who you are and where you come from, but can you share with our listeners a bit, a bit, a little bit about Jason Nightingale? Yeah, so um, both my mum and dad um, born and raised in New Zealand. Um, my dad was born in Christchurch. Um, my mum was born in Mangakino, which is a small town in the Bay of Plenty. Um, yeah, her um, mother was part Italian, part Maori, and her dad was part Maori and um, mostly white. Um, and my dad's, yeah, very much South Island, mixed between uh, English and Scottish. Um, yeah, so, and then they moved, I lived in Papamaya, uh, straight after I was born in Sydney, moved back to New Zealand, lived in Papamaya until I was five, back to Sydney and back to New Zealand a couple of times. And yeah, most of my family, almost all of my, uh, intimate, uh, immediate family other than my wife and kids, uh, live in New Zealand still. Um, but yeah, Sydney's definitely my home and, and has been for 
the the most um, biggest part of my life. Jason, you speak about how your family shifted over to Australia when you were quite young. Even though you lived in a different country, um, do you um, have the opportunity to still practice your multiculture at home and, and throughout your life? Not really. Only I do it through my cousins. Um, my cousins on my dad's side was so uh, my auntie. Uh, married uh, Maldi and um, they went to uh, Maldi school. So everything I learned um, from my Maldi culture was not specifically mine. It was through them. Um, our side, my mother's side of the family was, well, they, my grandparents passed away before I was born um, and honestly didn't, weren't, weren't as culturally connected as, you know, as I could have been. So I, I lived that through my cousins, my first cousins, um, and they went to um, Maldi schools, um, one in near Morinsville and another one called Rakemangwanga in Huntley where Wadangi Korpu went. Um, so I learned a lot from them. Um, yeah, all, all the Māori words I know I learned from them. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, I still celebrate, I suppose, and, and learn a bit, bit about my own th- through them really because, uh, yeah, I don't have anyone within my, my family to teach us about ours. Um, they've done whakapapas and, and stuff like that, but um, certainly not uh, not something my even my mother was raised with. Well, it's really special that regardless of having, I guess, that direct um, information being fed to you from like your grandparents that your cousins are able to share this journey with you which is still such a a powerful way way to share your culture and celebrate your culture we now know you as a rugby league player who had such an incredible career but how did your feet get stuck into league in the first place well I um, lived in Sydney when I was seven or eight years old and started playing a local um, rugby league at Renown United, which is in the St. George district um, and played there for a few years before I moved back to New Zealand. Um, obviously moving back to New Zealand, especially we lived in um, Morinsville the second time I went back there. They have league there now, which is cool. But um, back in the nineties, mid nineties, they didn't. So I played rugby union back in New Zealand and um, it took for a couple of years until I um, went back to Sydney and, and, yeah, sort of picked up where I left off and uh, yeah, still played through, through Renown United until I, um, so I was 18 and, and got graded, I suppose, through the jersey flag and, and up through the pathways there. Jace, what about with that uh, time in rugby union and, and also spending time in New Zealand as a youngster? We know that the All Blacks are the, the most celebrated team in New Zealand. Was there ever a desire when you did reach uh, the, the elite level at the NRL, was there ever a desire to, to switch over to rugby union? Uh, it was probably in my time there when I was 10, 11, um, playing rugby union where I made my call as a, as a educated 11 year old, um, that I wanted to play for New Zealand, uh, knowing that I was born in Sydney, um, thinking I was that good because I was running around the park barefoot, um, scoring tries that I, oh, you know, I'll play with New, for New Zealand when I was older. So I honestly believe I made that decision at 11 years old and, and I stuck by that from every time you, Dean, you'll know where you fill out the forms of your heritage and, and all that stuff. I, I always wrote. New Zealand, New Zealand, New Zealand from, from the age of 15, 16, when I got asked. Um, yeah, that was, uh, but yeah, I played uh, well, a couple of trials in Waikato Power and Waikato had two pathway programs. I think Waikato Power and the Rangers is the other one. Um, and yeah, so I you know, had to grow up watching um, Chiefs um, as a kid there in New Zealand, but um, it wasn't really the All Blacks, it was New Zealand. And then as soon as I got back to Sydney at 12 and 13, I, yes, it's, it's very different um, game in Australia and um, rugby league was, I 
definitely my focus from then on. Good to hear that you're a leaguey through and through. I guess uh, going through your football career, you've uh, you established yourself as a, as a bit of a leader and, and a, I guess someone that players could turn to. You've, you've followed that through in retirement. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you have done with yourself since you, you finished playing the game? Um, yeah, so we uh, started a business that uh, I've always get into business with people that are more skilled um, and probably specialists. I think especially when you're a specialist athlete for, for most of your life, I think business partners is the key to that. Um, started a business called Elite Athlete Business School along with my business partner, Rebecca, who still runs and operates and very much the heartbeat of that that business today, um, teaching fundamentals of business and workshops um, to athletes um, and delivering some workshops as well to corporates in that space. But um, yeah, that's, we started that five years before I retired and still running today. Um, yeah, no thanks to me. Um, <laughs> along with a few other things that, that have they've done and started, um, cafe hospitality. I, I was a little bit more hands-on early days um, and then, yeah, in business with other people that are hospitality specialists. I suppose that's the thing you realise very quickly. Um, people that, like, like if someone tried to play rugby or rugby league at 18, 19, it, and there's a lot of time and a lot of lessons that have been learnt before then where they give you the skills. So finding the right people to do things and explore my own, um, I suppose, goals with, whether that be in business or in, in life, is, is important to be the people you do it with more than um, your own skill set. That's really great to hear. Well, we're chatting with former NZ International Jason Nightingale. Jason, I just want to ask you, you've now retired from the game, but you're still involved with the, the work that you do. But what is your relationship like with rugby league now as a retired athlete? Um, it, it goes up and down with, um, unfortunately, my I spent my whole career at the Dragons. It goes up and down with, with our success. So, uh, yeah, you asked me after you know, I lived that a bit of that roller coaster of if we we have a bad week or we've had a you know a bad month uh, or anything like that, even off field things that happen. So um, it's still very close. So I, I still do work uh, with Dean a little bit in the transition space with the NRL and helping people um, transition through their own you know out of professional sport into their own careers, whatever that might be. Um, so yeah, that it's it's very much connected in what I. Um, spent a bit of time learning about, which is the transition and then also um, helping others in that space. Um, yeah, with my actual rugby league, I, I'm still very connected to um, the Dragons um, game day. I'm on the board of the St. George District, which is like the junior reps and and that of the um, Dragons, half of the joint venture. Um, yeah, so all those things keep me close enough without being um, all invested because um, getting off the roller coaster is, is good sometimes too. Yeah, that sounds like you're still heavily involved with the game, which is awesome to hear. I guess just hearing you speak about that transition piece, in your experience, and I'm intrigued to know because I'm a, a current athlete, but what do you find to be the hardest thing um, about transition when it comes to athletes coming to the end of the career? Like what what's the hardest piece that they they grapple with? Oh, there's there's multiple things. I um I interviewed I just some people that I've seen do it well. And Dean was one of those people where I just ring, I rang him up before I retired and said, well, give me some tips. Um, and his was along with uh, probably the bit, of, bit in common with um, scheduling and routine and, and that stuff that you used to, that doesn't really feel like it is a routine. Um, you do actually need that and crave that. And a lot of your foundations and habits that you've, that, that make you good um, are harder to emulate in the real world. So um, try and find a way to do that. 
Um, and it, it is tough. Like I, I, I was, you know, prepared, very prepared. And as, as I'm sure Dean was, it still made, it still doesn't make it easy. So, um, except the fact that it is going to be different, it is going to be tough. Um, and then, yeah, find your own routine, build that out, whether that be, um, you know, you're you done by a calendar, done by writing goals, done by, um, you know, writing down a lot of what you want to achieve and, and how you want to get there. And then um, create a routine around that because um, we probably don't realize how institutionalized we are until the institution is gone. It's very true. And uh, some good advice there, Jason, on how to, I guess, be ready and, and prepared for the, the change that do come. Before we let you go, we just want to um, dig a little bit into the season ahead, season 2023 of the NRL. And, uh, you know, we wanted to get your insights on who you think is going to do well. So we'll start with the first one. Who do you think is going to be in the grand final this year and who's going to be the winner? I think it'll be South and the Cowboys. And I think the winner will be South. Oh, it's a big oh, – South, South have had a couple a of good call. seasons, but they are looking good. I've tipped the Cowboys to win it this year, so I might have given away a bit. But, um, yeah, I've tipped the Cowboys. I hope Toddy Payton can bring them home. Now, uh, second question, what are you most looking forward to for season 2023? Um, I've got some trips planned. So uh, Magic Round is one of them. Um, and then we've got an away game against South and Cairns. So I'm looking forward to that selfishly. Um, <laughs> and for, for my own club, it's just the season starting. I think it's going to be torturous watching um, round one while we're on the bye. Uh, so that, that second round, I get to play at home. Um, but yeah, really, really looking forward to the season starting, especially um, our club being in the in the press for, for not such positive things. It'd be really good to... To, you know the fact that we've had a false start and to actually get out there in in round two and play some footy so so definitely round two uh, and then a couple of uh, selfish away trips love it and last question Jason is who are you most looking forward to um, throughout this season it could be breakout style could be a veteran just I guess name a player that um, you're excited um, to to watch this season uh, I think it's Luttrell. I'm yeah, just because I, I went, was over in Rotorua as Dean was, and I was like, geez, he's looking fit. Um, and then uh, he was was at Charity Shield as well last weekend. And I just, yeah, I do like the way he plays, and um, he just looks pretty fit. And uh, that's, that's you know, everyone looks fit, but Luttrell isn't, you know, hasn't looked fit for round one at, as I've, much as I've seen him as, as he is right now. So um, cool to see how that goes. And, you know, obviously, stays injury freeze that is the hope for them um but yeah uh i should be saying some of the dragons but i've, I've watched him over the last two weeks the first preseason games um and he looks pretty fit and healthy so south sydney to win the premiership off the back of uh, a fit and healthy latrell mitchell i like that it's uh i think um you're on the money there naughty now the last thing we want to do is uh we, we play a game with our guests it's called tip on basically it's 60 seconds of rapid fire questions we want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind are you ready to play not really, because it took me a long time to even think of the trail. <laughs> That's all right. We'll get through it. I'm sure you'll be fine. All right. The clock is on. What have you been binging on lately? Uh, burgers. <laughs> what is your coffee order? Long black. Uh, who is your most annoying colleague? Uh, I've, got, I've got four different jobs. I'm going to say Dean Hollitow. <laughs> who is your sporting hero? 
Andrew Eddinghausen. Do you fold or do you scrunch? Fold. <laughs> what would be your wrestler entrance song? Uh, I don't know. Something Eminem or something like a white guy trying to do his best. <laughs> what was your favorite movie as a kid? Uh, Blinky Bill. Uh, what's something you could eat from Mud Straight? Sushi. What's the most used app on your phone? I'm so boring, but it's Outlook. <laughs> boring. Do you have hidden talent? <laughs> Wait, hang on. Outlook also has calendar. It also has my email. It's not just like that's my schedule and my email. It's not just emails, right? Oh, we, so I don't like, need your reason. It's all good. Yeah. All right, I have anyway. a longer story to justify yeah. his Sorry, Outlook what was your app. Last, what was your next question? Oh, the last question was: Do you have it in talent? Uh, scheduling. Scheduling with Outlook. <laughs> <laughs> Jace. That sounds so nerdy. Outlook is my most used app and scheduling is actually my hidden talent. I was trying to be honest. Like, I could have lied, but that's like, I, you know how you can actually look at it? You can actually go yeah. to it. Yeah, and I'm yeah. trying to get my, obviously, obviously trying to get my Instagram time down. Um, and I don't mean to get my Outlook time up because, yeah, but it, but it's just the reality is I look at it and it says Outlook and then it says Instagram. So uh, if, if that's in order, then I'm, Probably being more productive. More productive. Than productive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love how you've checked your Outlook uh, screen time. You can. Yeah, it's you up can, yeah, you yeah can I get do that. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it anyway, sounds so nerdy, Jason. Just saying. <laughs> well, Jason, <laughs> yeah, thanks I'm very good. much. Thanks very much once again for joining us on the show. Um, good luck with all your businesses, and no doubt you and I will catch up at some past player events soon. Sounds good, mate. Thanks for having me, guys. That was former New Zealand international Jason Nightingale. ask that your chance to ask what it's really like to be an elite athlete on can you be more pacific sarah time to find out a little bit about the bubble bubble i should say of being an athlete you the current athlete me the former athlete and the question that's come to us from ben on twitter is what was the worst game of your career now um, when i read this question i immediately <laughs> remembered my worst game and I can remember a lot of detail about it. I don't remember many of the games I played, but this one sticks out. Um, Sarah, do you have a game that sticks out in your mind as your worst? Yes, there is certainly one game that sticks out to me and it's a bit painful to bring up, but it was my first year in the Wallaroo squad. So that was back in 2019. We had a private um, scrimmage against Japan and it was a closed trial. So no one from the public could come in. And honestly, I just feel like it was the worst game. And I guess based on my lack of confidence in that game, it showed in like come line out time and just moving around the paddock um, that I genuinely believe it cost me like getting a look in at all throughout 2019. So um, I just think like nothing really went right for me and I gifted the opposition the ball at some very stupid times and that to me will always stick out as my worst game, even if it wasn't, it, I believe it is. <laughs> did, did you take any lessons? What were the lessons that you took from it? Or how did you uh, bounce back from it? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I, oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Well, I mean, I had to have a feedback session anyway with the coaches. And when they told me that first week, which was the first game that I would, I guess, debuted because, yeah, that would have been um, – I totally agreed with them. I said to them, like, I, I see what you are saying because I felt that after um, 
the game had finished and I watched it back. Um, so yeah, I had to get some um, feedback and it was really uncomfortable. And um, I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned it before on the show, but I had Steve Larkham in the room for my first uh, non-23 chat, which was a bit daunting, but yeah, you, you kind of have to find feedback and have to just keep working on it and, and not give up. Even if you feel like crap, that's probably the only thing I could do. That's really good feedback, Sarah. Uh, good train of thought or good attitude to have after a, a you know an ordinary game and I guess the one the one for me that I remember the most was 2004 uh, we were playing against the Cowboys at Campbelltown Stadium and it was wet it was a rainy rainy day and I had an absolute stinker I dropped the ball six times I remember I had six handling errors and they weren't even forced errors they were like just trying to catch a pass fumbles in, in the rain and one one error led to another error led to another error I just kept compounding things and I remember going back to the leagues club at Campbelltown um, after the game and uh, one of the fans, there was a, a family of, of West Tigers fans that I got to know over the first two years of my career that were always really staunch, come and support, always chatted to me after the game. They were really nice. And I remember that the father from uh, the family, he came up to me and he just squarely said to me, he goes, that was one of the worst performances I've ever seen. And like, but I thought it was funny, like just to front me with it. And oh, I, was, I was, I was so cut and I'm like, oh, eh, smiling, trying to like just to fob it off. But it, it, it it cut me and I, I'd never forget that. And he didn't mean it to be, I don't know, to be nasty or anything like that. He just called it as he said, it. it was a, a spade, a spade. Um, but one thing that I like that I took from it was that uh, Tim Shane's who was my coach at the time. He didn't take me off the field. He left me on there because he said to me after the game, he said, you didn't stop trying. He, he said, I know it wasn't the best game. And as a team, we didn't have a great game, but I contributed heavily to that. Um, but I, I kept turning up and that was what he was pleased with. He goes, you're young, you didn't have a great game, but you kept turning up and you kept trying. And that's, you know, that's what I want to see. I want to see you get off the canvas and go again, which was kind of the, the, the advice that I took. And um, thankfully I didn't have another game. I had bad games for sure, but I didn't have a game where I dropped the ball six times again. And he picked me the following week. So I was grateful for him for sticking solid with me, even though I, I dished that up. Um, but yeah, I, I remember that game very vivid like that sort of moment very vividly amongst all the games I've played. Um, and for no other reason than it was a really hard pill to swallow how bad it was. Far out. I feel like just hearing you talk about that bloke walking up to you in the club, I feel a little bit defensive. Like I want to stick up for you, go like wind the clock back <laughs> and tell him to shush and walk the other way. But you raise it such an important point and we definitely have young listeners who tune into this segment. But what what did you do? when you're on the field and you realize you're just making repeated mistakes, like how did you keep yourself in the game? Oh, well, I, I, I dropped my head obviously after the first mistake and, you know, you shake it off, your teammates come and get around you and they pat you in the back and they say, go again. But then when you drop it a second time, they try and rally around you, but they're like, oh man, again, come on. And, you know, you kind of feel that's what they're thinking. And then by the third one, the Cowboys players were into me. They were like hammering me. They were coming up and rubbing me on the head and just sledging me for, oh. for making another mistake. Um, so yeah, I just kept thinking like I've got to make up for it by having another run, and uh, you know, the three times I'd, I'd made the error. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I guess it was I can't really sit here and and feel sorry for myself and do nothing. I just have to try and do something, and um, I kept trying. Sometimes it's like quicksand. The harder you try, the worse it goes. So a good mantra is next job. When you're on the field and something goes wrong, or you're in a game and something goes wrong, just think about the next job and how you can contribute to it. Yeah, definitely. Now, if you've got a question, you can send it through to our DMs on Instagram. I'm at Dean Hallitow and Sarah is at Sarah Nengama.
Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. Oh my God. You're with Sarah and Dean talking all things sport across the Pacific. Stick around, we'll spotlight our favourite socials, we tackle the tough headlines in the ruck, but up next we'll preview the 2023 NRL season. With the NRL starting this week and uh, lots of excitement for round one and what the season's going to bring, uh, we thought we'd do a special preview of what's to come and give some thoughts on uh, what we're looking forward to and, and some of our um, insights on who's going to take it out. So, Sarah, let's get into some questions that we have for each other. What are you most looking forward to for the NRL season? Honestly, Dean, I'm really looking forward to seeing the Parramatta Eels. Now, I love. I fell in love with this team. I've actually been in love with this team for a little bit, but, like, I've always spoken about Penrith Panthers, but I was really hoping that Parramatta could go, all the, like, all the way last year. So I think... They're going to be back with a vengeance this year, and I really, really want to see them go far. The bounce back from a premiership defeat, that could be something to keep an eye on. Um, 100%. What about you? I'm looking forward to the Dolphins just to see how what the, dy- the, the dynamic is like in the game with an additional team. Obviously, there's going to be a buy every week for one team, so that's going to be something different. Um, yeah, so I just want to see what the, what the Dolphins bring to the competition. I, I don't have high hopes for them, but I'm just interested to see what a new team looks like in the, in the game. And we want the game to grow. I, hopefully, this is a, a good test for going further down the track. So the Dolphins for me. Mm, nice. Now, the next one we want to be able to quiz each other on is who will be the buy of the year? Now, there's been some heavy recruiting that's taken place in the offseason in the lead-up to the 23 season. So I'm interested to know, who do you think is going to be a bit of a standout for some of the clubs? Well, I've got a tie for this, and I'm going to go um, two Fijians that departed from the Premiership winners in the Panthers and have ended up at my two old clubs. So the first one I'm going to go is Viliami Kikau. I think he's going to have a huge impact on the Bulldogs' success this year. In their trial the other week against uh, the Sharks, he scored a try, left the field early with the HIA, but um, he showed the the power and the athleticism and the ability that he brings to an edge. And I think he's going to be a real key for the Bulldogs' success this year. And the other one I'm going to go is Appy Groysau over at the Tigers. The number nine coming from Penrith has had a successful career already with a number of premierships, but I think his leadership and guidance around the middle of the park for the Tigers is going to be key in them sort of picking themselves up from the bottom of the table and, and working their way towards the top eight. So there, I, I know I've cheated a little bit there and, and gone with two, but Kikau and Groysau. What about you, Sarah? Who are yours? Well, you and I must be in tune because the player I had down was Uppy. Yes. <laughs> I'm really excited to see what he can do for the Tigers. We both, um, well, everyone knows how much the Tigers have struggled, but just having such a key playmaker like Uppy who comes with so much experience both on this domestic stage of the NRL and also internationally, I think will put him in good stead to lead the troops around very well. So I think he will be a great, great addition to the club and I can't wait to see him unleashed throughout the year. Yes, we'll be looking forward to see what he can do. Now, who is a player that you uh, are looking out for, Sarah? Probably, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be uh, a, an, uh, sorry, a young up-and-comer, maybe a rookie, or is there someone that sort of stands out as, as a bit of a rarity? Yes, one player that is a young forward, he's actually signed through to 2025 and he's only 21 years old, is Trent Loero. He, uh, he's six foot four, 105 kilograms. Um, he's a solid contributor and he made his debut in 2021. And looking at the way things are at the Storm, if Tarek is out, he'll probably be on the left edge. So I think it's going to be pretty exciting to see what he can do. And I mean, considering how young he is for 
a club like the Storm to invest in him tells me that they see something in him and it's only a matter of time that we see him in his true form. Yeah, that's a really good one. Like he, he's played a little bit of first grade and he hasn't um... – yeah, he's not someone that that often lands on on the commentators' lips when they're talking about strong performers from Melbourne's team. But um, we know that anyone down at Melbourne is is going to turn out to be a pretty decent player, and he's he's probably at such a young age to already have a few games under his belt and um, to be pushing for a starting spot. That's a, a real smoky. I like that one, Sarah. Yeah, that's me. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go up to the Titans, who have had a fairly disappointing last couple of years. I'm going to go with Jojo Fafita. I think um, he's a pretty imposing young man on the wing there for uh, the Titans. He's only 20 years of age, and he's still got some some growing to do, I think, in terms of his physicality. Like, he's he's 183 centimetres, so he's a bit over six foot. But I think he's going to um, he's going to fill out some more, and he can be a real powerhouse. Um, so Jojo, Jojo Fafita, I think, is, is going to score some tries, do some damage up there for the Titans, who, who may surprise a few people this year. Hmm, I like that. Now, on to our next prediction. Who, Dan, do you think will be the surprise packet team of the year? I gave a little bit of a hint there in my last answer, and it is it is the Titans <laughs> for me. I think um, they, they have had a very disappointing last couple of years. They, they pushed close to the finals uh, two years ago, only to be beaten by the Roosters up in Townsville, and um, you know they, they were within a whisker of progressing through. Uh, I just think they look a lot fitter this year than they did last year, and, and they're ready to give it a nudge. They've got some good young players, um, some guys that have been around for a couple of years that have, uh, you know, some of the brightest young players in the game, like David Fafita and um, Tino Fasul Malawi. I think they're going to really lead the, the team up front and do a good job. They may be a little bit um, light on for, for some experienced halves, but um, I, I think what they've got in terms of firepower is going to give them a good platform to get to get uh, some results. What about you, Sarah? Who's your surprise packet team for this year? My surprise packet team of the year is the Bulldogs. They had a pretty woeful season last year, and let's be honest, for the past couple of years. So I think they are really, really keen to turn things around, and they have reason to. When you find yourself um, at the bottom of the ladder for a few seasons, it has to plant something in your step in your stomach. So I think that even though we've slept on the Bulldogs, they're probably enjoying being that underdog, pun intended, um, because this year I think they're going to break out and kind of shock us a bit. Yeah, I like that. Good selection. Go the Bulldogs to uh, to shock some people this year. Now, which team or coach, uh, Sarah, do you think is the most under pressure in 2023? I think the Dolphins will be the most under pressure. <laughs> is that bad to say because of the new team? No, no, that's fine. Yeah, okay. I think the Dolphins will be under immense pressure this year. We know that coming into a well-established competition with teams that have had decades of experience over you, um, can be a bit of a tricky water to navigate in. They're the new kids on the block. They have Wayne Bennett, who is, you know, not appearing to preseason fixtures and kind of just does things in his own weird and wonderful ways. And I think they'll be pressed a fair bit this year. And it'll be interesting to see how they react to it. And I also find it quite intriguing that even in their first year, there's so much hype around it that they've even released their own documentary, which will be coming out in a few weeks. So um, a lot of hype. Um, a lot of expectation, but it's whether or not they can survive under all that pressure. There is going to be a heap on them. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the behind the scenes look at establishing an NRL side and, and everything that they've gone through. Um, no doubt the Dolphins are under pressure, but the team that I think is going to be under huge pressure is the Dragons. And, and it's purely because there's been a lot of outside noise around what's going on. And and I know that that's not always what are, what's reported outside isn't always what the case of what's going on inside the club. Um, but it's going to be hard to sort of keep fighting off that kind of that kind of pressure. There's been a few little things in the off season that have um, sort of 
destabilized things a little bit for them. Um, and, and maybe there's been some questions over the roster. Uh, Hook, that is um, Anthony Griffin, their coach, has done a, a good job at other clubs in establishing some youngsters. They've got a really good nursery at the Dragons with some young guys having success at the lower grades and, and coming through and showing promise. So um, no doubt he's a kind of guy that can bring those players through. Um, but I still think that that outside noise is going to persist and it's going to sort of follow them for the you know the start of the year. If they don't get the results, it's going to get louder and louder as the year goes on. I think that's a pretty fair call to make. Now on to a lighter and brighter category, M award winner. Who are we thinking? I'm going to say Joseph Manu, Joey Manu. He has had um, some some really good seasons already for the Roosters. I think the Roosters are going to be thereabouts at the, the top end of the table. And I think if they're up there, he's going to be featuring quite regularly as one of their best players. He just continues to to grow and uh, I love the way he plays. So, um, you know, he's got some competition with his, within his own squad for points every week, but I think he's good enough to um, to come out with at least two or three if they get a win. Um, so he's my pick. What about you, Sarah? Who's your Dallium medalist for 23? I think Nico Hines is going to back it up again. Ooh. I think he's going to be a two-time Dallium winner. Um, I just think the way that he responded to his Dallium last year and just seeing some stuff that he did in the off-season, I just think that character – plays a big part into performance and I think he he can do it. If anyone can, I, I reckon Nico can. Yeah, and he's a very likable guy. I think if if he was to win it again, that would be um a lot of people would be stoked with that because uh good player, good pick. I like it, Sarah. Wooden spooners, uh, it's a it's a a negative one, but um who do you think is gonna unfortunately wear the the seventeenth place? It's a negative one, but it's an inevitable one because someone needs to fall into that place. But I think it's going to be the Dolphins. I think it's really hard just because history tells us, and if I'm looking directly at Super Rugby Pacific, we saw Fiji and Joe Moana Pacifica come to the comp last year, but they also finished, both teams finished at the bottom of the ladder. So it's not to say that good things can't happen throughout the season, but it takes a lot of time to find that team cohesion, find your groove um, before you put some, some serious or consecutive wins together to finish in that top eight. Yeah, well, I'm with you there. I think the Dolphins, unfortunately, will be at the bottom end of the table and uh, finishing in 17th. Uh, I think there's going to be a little bit of grace for them this year, though. I think because they are a new club and, and they've established a new roster and, and they're building, I think people aren't going to be as hard on the fact that they're not going to get a lot of wins on the board this year. And, and I think um, just starting the competitions is a good enough stepping stone for them. I, don't, I hate going down the, the track of who's going to be the wooden spoon because um, I'm happy to wear egg on my face if they do better. Um, but yeah, I'm with you on the Dolphins. Hmm. Well, our last one is grand finalist and winner. Now, you and I, we love to have a bit of skin in the game. So whoever comes away with the correct prediction um, will get a month of coffee. Are you in or are you out? Yeah, I'm in for that. But what if neither of us um, win? What if it's a dud, bet, a dud bet from either of us? Well, then our producer, Nelly, who does a fantastic job at editing our show so that we don't sound so horrible, will be the ultimate winner and she'll come away with coffee for a month. That is the best deal. It's so expensive for coffee right now in Sydney. Bloody inflation. <laughs> I'm in. You're, of course you're in. <laughs> you're in? The odds are well in your favour here. <laughs> That's so good. But 
Harley, if you did have to make a prediction, who are you saying? Well, I'm going to say the grand finalists will be the Roosters and the Cowboys, and my tip is for the Cowboys to come out on top. I think uh, last year's experience that they gained, they, they showed a lot of positive footy last year with a very young side and um, some experience getting Chad Townsend up there to lead them around was great. Tom Dearden had a, t- had a standout year at number six, and I think Jason Tamalolo leading them around the middle of the field. Um, Jeremiah Nanai, he was unreal for them as well in the second row. They've just got talent across the board, and I think they're going to be the premiers this year. Um, and the Roosters are going to be thereabouts. I said it before. They, they are a quality side led by a quality coach, and, and they're going to figure very heavily throughout the season. So that's my pick. Sarah, what about yours? Well, even though history tells us that an NRL club can't win a three times in a row, I think Penrith Panthers will certainly fight their way all the way till that end. And the people or the team that they'll be facing is South. Like, I just think that is a gritty final that is equally balanced and would be phenomenal to witness. So who's your win? You're going for Penrith to, to win the three-peat? Yeah, I'm going with Penrith. I just think they thrive off people saying they can't do it. Yeah. yeah. And they do. They yeah. genuinely do. So... Penrith, I expect to see them there, and I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if they can do it again. So you've got a replay of the twenty three, and again and again, <laughs> you've got a replay <laughs> of the twenty one grand final. So that'll be interesting if that comes to fruition. And yeah, Panthers do like the siege mentality. Um, we'll see if you're mm-hmm. uh, if you're on the money, Sarah. Yeah, because if I am, I get the coffee. If I don't, <laughs> you get the coffee. And if neither of us do, Nelly, you get the coffee. So that's a flat white. Just thought I'd let you know now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Can you be more Pacific? Keeping it social. Sarah, time to turn to the socials and see what's making us laugh or entertaining us this week. What have you got for us? Well, my one this week comes from the Female Athlete Project. They put up this incredible repost of Tia Claire. She is a CrossFit athlete, currently pregnant and just dominating her wad. Like she looks incredible. The muscles, like so toned, but just so great to see her move. Um, Even though she's pregnant, it it really made me think about my life and the choices I'm making in the gym. (laughs) It's pretty remarkable watching the footage of of her doing a full CrossFit. Like CrossFit's hard enough by itself, but to do it um, when you're pregnant, that's um, pretty impressive stuff. Like she's honestly cleaning weights that I don't even do and I'm not pregnant. (laughs) It's just speaking volumes of a strength. So a brilliant athlete, um, hand it to the Female Athlete Project and watch it. It's pretty phenomenal. What about you? What did you find? Well, while our listeners are at the Female Athlete Project, they can stay there because the one that I've uh, found was kind of inspired by by your choice. And uh, it's another post from Adrenaline Strength and, and that's Andrea McDonald Hendricks. It's been reposted by Female Athlete Project and it's uh, Andrea's doing a, a wall ball challenge, which is holding on to a bar on a, um, on a CrossFit rig and tossing a medicine ball or a um, a slam ball over the top of the bar, catching it with her feet. This is all in her feet, by the way. And then she's throwing it into the wall and catching it back again. So I, I don't know how anyone does this, but um, to continually do it and maintain like core strength, arm strength, back strength, uh, coordination, I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. I am looking at it right now and I can't, like the grip, the grip is one thing, right? To grip the bar is one thing, but that strength in her legs, oh my goodness. I feel like I want to go to a CrossFit gym now and have like a crack at what <laughs> both Tia did and also Chinese wall ball trick. Do you think you'd go all right? 
No, I'd, I'd hurt myself. I don't want to do it because I know I'd hurt myself. <laughs> so we'll just stick to what we know then, I guess you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I'll just do a couple of push-ups and that. That'll do. Boring. In the rut. Tackling the tough headlines in sport on Can You Be More Pacific? In the wrap this week, we have a couple of headlines to tackle, and the first coming in the form of athletics. Vanuatu are currently concerned about losing athletes to seasonal work, which is worrying as the Pacific Games are scheduled to be held later this year. Yeah, it's it's probably something that you like I, I'd never really thought of before, but um, when you have semi-professional athletes or amateur athletes that want to compete in games, and and they're the best in their in their nation over there in Vanuatu, and they've still got commitments to work. And if seasonal work is what they do every year and it's a big source of income, then, um, you know, it's hard to, it'd be hard for them to prioritize competing at a games, uh, versus like, this is what we do to, to provide for our family. So yeah, it's, it's a, a, a big challenge, no doubt for Vanuatu athletics. And, um, hopefully, um, th- there's a way or, or something they can do to try and, um, get the athletes some preparation that they need and and still get them across for the games as well at the same time. I mean, that is the Achilles heel of being a semi-professional athlete is that you still need to be able to sustain yourself financially, but it does also compromise your preparation. And we're currently looking at the Pacific Games, which is to be held at the end of this year. And Vanuatu as a nation have been given 26 spots to fill. So that's 20 athletes and six officials. So if your best athlete, sorry, athletes are are currently working. It's really hard to get them prepared to be in the best shape possible in the lead up to such a huge campaign. So um, I guess the the promising thing about this is that the Ministry of Youth Development and Sports will be hosting a sports forum, which will include all stakeholders and national sport federations to have a big conversation about this, about how they can address these issues as well as a plan going forward, because the last thing you want to be doing is compromising the quality of your athletes purely because they're torn between work and sport. Yeah, well said, Sarah. Hopefully they do come up with some solutions soon. Now, Sarah, one of the biggest stars in Australian rugby and world rugby, Taniela Tupo, has uh, there's some big news on his signing for next year. Yes, the Tongan Thor has been recruited by the Melbourne Rebels and he will join them in the 2024 season, which means he will see out his contract with the Queensland Reds this year. It's um really... I'm sure it would have been a very tough decision. Taniela Tupo, we all know his story, was here in New Zealand, got picked up by the Reds, came through their junior ranks and has had such an amazing career with them. He even went on to make his debut for the Wallabies and has been a mainstay in the national squad um, while he's been at his time at the Reds. So it's um, sad to see him go, but I think he will boost Melbourne Rebels. They have struggled a fair bit over the past few seasons. So I think having such a a world-class player like Taniela Tupo ready to be unleashed can only mean good things for this side. So it'll be interesting to see where he and the players um, within that squad can can take themselves in the 2024 season. Yeah, I really look forward to seeing what he can do with them and hopefully he, he can draw some other players. You get big-name player like him to the Rebels and uh, other players sometimes follow and uh, that'll hopefully boost them even further. Yes, Taniela Tupo, a marquee player. Who would have thought a prop could do that? Only he can. <laughs> on ABC Radio Australia. Unfortunately, that brings us to the end of the show. (laughs) Do not fear, we'll be back same time, same place next week. 
Don't forget you can find all of our episodes on the Radio Australia website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or there. Let's all look here. Can You Be More Pacific? An ABC sport production for ABC Radio Australia. This program has been funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade.